0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: He told us that around 1970 or so, he was on a boat sailing around Alaska. They were a crew of photographers or journalists or something like that. Anyway, at some point, it got late, so they decided they should dock. The ship stopped suddenly, with the docks visible three, four kilometers away. The ship's captain, actually a friend and teammate, passed out flat on his back. Anyway, they tried to wake him up but then the lights started to fade as if the power generator was giving out. It was nearer when the captain started to find his senses where they heard a massive noise like a whale's wailing, but it was like it filled the whole area. They creaked the F out, but calmly they fixed everything and set sail for the docks. The last weird thing happening was them seeing the waves foaming from massive herd of profish, I think, that were swimming violently in the direction of the ship. After they settled in the room, they were staying, they asked the captain what happened. But the only thing he could explain is that he felt funny. His ears buzzed and lost his senses. It all starts on a winter night in Juneau, Alaska. About four years back, while I was a senior in high school, a few friends of mine were over at my house. neighborhood on the side of a mountain surrounded by a forest. We were bored with our video games and TV, so we all decided to walk a trail in the woods. This is about 3 a.m., and we weren't worried about running into bears because it was their hibernation time. So we gear up for the zero-degree weather and leave for a trail up the mountain that I'd played at as a kid, running through the woods and building forts. So, of course, growing up in it, knowing it like my own home, I wasn't too worried. We had crossed a bridge onto the trail and walked about a half mile when my friend stops and says he heard something up ahead. I say that it's most likely a deer or something, having seen much of Alaska's wildlife in these woods. So we keep walking, and by this point, he's a little nervous, glancing around a lot. My third friend started to say it was probably the Kushtaka, a local legend of a creature that shape shifts into something that lures you to your death. He freaks out even more, and I tell him I've spent half my life in these woods and haven't seen one thing that was remotely strange. About five minutes later, we heard snow crunch under a huge pine tree about ten yards in front of us. We stopped dead in our tracks, looking up the path towards the tree. I shine the flashlight in that direction, and we catch a flash of something move behind the tree, almost like a bike reflector or something. We start walking slowly away from the tree, back down the trail, not looking away from the tree. Then we see a hand from behind the tree touch the ground, and I stop dead, frozen with fear, not looking away with my flashlight directly on it. It took a few seconds for my friends to realize what I was looking at. Then they saw it, too. My friend who had been scared this whole time goes nuts and starts putting together words that made no sense. Whatever was behind the trees leaned out to look at us. Its eyes reflected like a dog's from the beam of my flashlight, making its face blurry from the glare. Instantly we all run, not daring to stop. No movement was heard until we had reached the bridge when one of my friends fell on the ice. That's when I heard it bounding up the path towards us. I shine my light and there it is running towards us on all fours, half screaming, half howling. It looks almost like a human but seemed to be a lot taller and skinnier, very pale in the moonlight and against the snow. It was completely naked. So I run and jump off the low bridge onto the frozen creek and yell for them to follow me. We run down the side of the creek towards my neighborhood. I have never run so fast and so far. But I kept on for fear of what I saw. During the entire run, I could hear whatever it was running through the woods directly to the right of us, all the way until we got to the streetlight by Children's Park. To this day, my friend and I still bring up crazy theories of what we had seen. My other friend, the one who had been so terrified, had never brought it up again. Just for context, I live in a small village in Ireland. It's surrounded by fields and some small forests. Where I live, there is about one kilometer of empty fields before a mini forest. But keep in mind that the ditch behind my house has trees just tall enough to block my vision of the fields. Every night at random times, usually 11 p.m., 2 a.m., I hear a man screaming out beyond the ditch behind my house. It's always at irregular intervals, and my neighbors are all elderly, so I know it isn't them, and there are no houses close enough for the sound to come from them. I don't know how to explain the scream, but it sounds less like it's from fear and more so from like... Annoyance, yet like it's aimed at someone. But it's slurred. I don't know how to explain the slur, except it's like when you're saying "eh." But when you scream, there's just something off about it. It doesn't sound human, but it also doesn't sound non-human. I have heard stories where a cryptid can imitate human pleas to bite people towards them. Could this be it, or is it just a crazy man who for some reason screams in fields in the middle of the night? Hey, so I was talking to my friend who said he went camping one time in an area that was known to be a little bit strange somewhere in one of the canyons in Utah. He was by himself and in the morning woke up cuz. He heard a sound and when he opened his eyes he saw this twig branch moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth as if deliberately. He watched it for a minute and eventually he said he saw a creature start to walk away from it. He said he didn't see a head, but described it kind of like a cow, black and white pattern. But it's back was draped in brown, and the butt resembled more of a horse. He swears it wasn't a cow, and that he wasn't high, and says he believes it's something more cryptic. It was probably a cow, to be honest, but I was wondering if anyone has seen or heard of something like this. My grandmother lives by herself in a little double wide. Out back, there is a big backyard, a huge field that a neighbor farms, and woods beyond that. I have always gotten the sensation something was out in those fields, older than the land, almost a part of the land. Last night, she fell dislocated her shoulder. My parents took her to the ER, and I volunteered to keep watch overnight with her. As soon as I stepped foot in that house, I felt a pressure and an unclean feeling come over me. All through the night, my skin was crawling, and I just felt unclean and like something was in the house with us. This morning, I came back home. My mom is something that has me coming here for answers, she said when she was helping my grandma out of the car that night. She saw something walk through the backyard. She said the best word she could use to describe it was werewolf. She said it was tall, gangly, and on all fours with eye shine. She has also felt the unclean feeling. I know a little bit about skinwalkers, and what she described sounded a lot like one. I also study the paranormal, so I'm also of a negative spirit as the culprit. If it is a skinwalker, would Catholic prayers and blessings work, or do I need something else? This is a true story. It happened to me just over a decade and a half ago. I don't know if this is the wrong sub for this sort of thing. If so, please let me know, and I'll gladly move it. The title is borrowed from one of the stories my uncle used to tell me when I stayed with him and my cousin when I was young. The title has nothing really to do with the story per se, other than it happened to be the one he was telling when this story happened. I've went back and forth a couple of times on whether or not to post this. Partially because I know most won't believe it, and partially because I don't really want to relive it in my head. Throw away because no amount of karma is worth getting labeled a whack job should someone I know in real life find this or something. My uncle, we will call him, Bob, and his daughter, my cousin. We will call her Sue. used to live a good distance out in the woods. I'm not going to say what state, but suffice it to say it's a very rural area of a southeastern U.S. state. The closest main road was a couple of miles away, and it was one gravel road onto another to get to their house. The only house within walking distance, a long walk at that, about one-eighth of a mile, was a second uncle of mine, John, and the two of them had lived in that house in the middle of those woods all of their lives up until Bob decided to buy a mobile home and set it up a little farther still, into the woods. Yeah, it probably sounds nutso to want to live out in the middle of no, frickin' where the town's TV cable service didn't even offer service to his house, and you could barely get a cell signal there half the time. But my uncle loved it. He was an outdoorsy type and, honestly, a bit of a gun nut. He fancied himself a cowboy, I guess, always wearing a cowboy hat and watching old gunslinger TV shows on VHS like I said, no cable. My cousin Sue never knew anything different, so she liked living out in the woods just fine too, up until they moved into the trailer. But more on that later. So, being a young boy, I thought my Uncle Bob was just the coolest guy in the world. I always enjoyed shooting and plinking as a kid. My parents bought me a twenty two caliber, taught me how to use it, and how to safely handle firearms really young, so of course I loved visiting Uncle Bob out in the woods and going hunting with him and checking out his cool guns. That is, until both of my parents got switched to second shift at their jobs, and I had to start going to Bob's house after school every day. At first it wasn't so bad, the lack of cable really bummed me out, but we had DHSs. But what really started to get to me was the walk back to my parent car at 11.30 when they got off and came to pick me up. The gravel road that led from my Uncle John's house to Bob's was barely passable as a road, and lit by a single street light. My parents, convinced that a 12-year-old boy had nothing to worry about walking down a gravel road at midnight in the middle of No, where I, I mean, who was going to bother me, right? Nah, would usually park at John's house and call down for Bob to send me walking up the road. It honestly wasn't that big of a deal. Bob would stand at his door and watch me walk up the road to make sure I was all right. And I'd no sooner be out of his sight than the high beams of my parents' car would be greeting me back to safety. But it sure felt like I was walking through hell. Other than the TV situation and the long dark walk, Bob, Sue, and I would sit around and talk about hunting or watch videotaped hunting shows. Bob loved hunting shows. Bob loved hunting, like hunted every single day. Both of my uncles had been hunting in those woods since they were little, and knew damn near everything about the area. Bob had some pretty spooky stories he would tell from his hunting experiences, mostly just weird sounds in the woods, occasionally seeing some weird things once or twice. It always tripped me out when he would tell Sue and me those stories about the woods around the trailer we were sitting in at that very moment. Of course, John would never back Bob up on any of those stories. If you asked him about any of them, or if he had ever seen anything, he'd just say something kind of dodgy about how you can't explain everything. And just because he didn't know what something was, didn't mean it was anything weird. I don't remember a single time John confirmed anything Bob told me, at least not with any kind of conviction. But that is probably partially because Bob was a natural-born storyteller. He could make scary stories up off the top of his head that would give Stephen King nightmares. That was something else we did to pass the time. Sit around and listen to these horror stories that my uncle would come up with. Now don't get me wrong, he never mixed up his real life. This happened to me. Eerie type stories with his obviously made up supernatural type stories. But knowing how John kinda shrugged Bob's true stories off, and knowing how good of a storyteller Bob was, I always took his tails with a shaker of salt. So anyway, like I said, I really liked hanging out with Uncle Bob and Cousin Sue and going hunting with Bob, and everything was pretty normal at their trailer for a good while after they moved in. They even got an indoor dog that I loved to death and loved to play with named Muffin. I had maybe been staying with him after school for probably a month when it all went to shit. When it first started, I really kind of wondered if they were playing a joke on me or setting up some tall tell for a story. It never seemed to happen when I was there, only on the weekends or after midnight when I had gone home. Someone was trying to screw with Sue's head. Bob would be gone during the day hunting or gone to town, and someone would F with their trailer. Knocking on doors, knocking on walls, throwing sticks, rocks at it. Now Sue was no southern belle. She knew her way around a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun better than most people. But one can only sit in a trailer the middle of the woods alone and listen to windows and other rooms getting knocked on before you start to wonder who the hell is coming all the way out rural bum Egypt to mess with you. Not to mention the stuff happening at two, three o'clock in the morning. Sue and Bob had bedrooms at opposite ends of the trailer, and at either end, looking outside their window, was a clearing maybe 40, 50 feet wide, and then the tree line. At night, in the early hours of the morning, Sue could hear someone walking rather heavily around the wood line and occasionally screaming a high-pitched scream. My dad and Uncle John suggested it was a panther, and not to worry about it, but Sue took to sleeping with the 12-gauge next to her bed anyway. Like I said, I honestly didn't believe it at first. I could barely muster the courage to walk from one end of the gravel road to the other at night with a fully grown man with a gun watching over me. With a fully grown man with a gun watching over me who the F would have the balls to be wandering around the woods at 3 a.m. screwing with an obviously armed woman. And the fact that it only happened when I wasn't there seemed a little too convenient. I would have thought maybe they were setting me up for some kind of grand story, or even that Sue, she was a bit of a drama queen, was just making it up for attention, except that they were kind of keeping it hush-hush, at least from me. The little bits of info I got were mostly hearing other room conversations between Sue and Bob or Bob and John. I had to piece together what was going on and question Sue about it later. At first, she just kind of said it was nothing for me to worry about and everything was fine. That is, until one day after school, I got to their house and Bob and Sue were waiting for me at John's house to walk me down to theirs. This was unusual. It was a perfectly bright sunny day. No murderers, rapists, or home intruders in sight. But there was something really strange in the air that day. Some weird glances between Bob and Sue. Something had them on edge. If the awkward looks and edgy acting hadn't tipped me off, the firepower should have. Bob had a six-shooter strapped to his leg and a thirty thirty lever-action rifle in his hand, and Sue had the shotgun at her side. It wasn't until Bob was making us dinner in the kitchen later that I found out why. Someone had tried to break in on Sue that day. Bob had gotten up that morning and went squirrel hunting, and someone had tried to rip the door off of their trailer. Bob hadn't went out for a few days, given the strange occurrences of the past few days, but everything had seemingly died down. So this day, he had decided he'd go out for just a little while, stick close to the trailer, and see how things went. No more than 45 minutes after he had left, Sue had been sitting on the couch and heard the handle of the door, which she had triple locked, start to rustle back and forth, gently at first, and then harder, and finally a first, and then harder, and finally a full-fledged attempt to pull the door off the hinges. Sue had somehow composed herself long enough to call Bob's cell phone and scream for help before grabbing the shotgun and falling into a crying mess on the floor, waiting on God knows what to come through the door after. It had been watching and waiting on Bob to leave. It gave up a few minutes before Bob got back, either deterred by the door lock, Sue's dog muffin attacking the inside of the door, trying to get out to it, or at the sound of a shotgun's pump action racking around into the chamber. I hadn't noticed walking in. Uh, I seemed to remember one of them opening the door for me, but later that day I checked, and the doorknob was decimated. I'm not sure how it was hanging on, much less working, and I could tell this wasn't usual Sue drama when she told me. She was nearly in tears. Muffin would not leave her sad that entire night no matter how much I tried to play with her. She had the look in her eye of someone who had been through an emotional hell that day. After dinner, just after sundown, we tried to regain some sense of normalcy. We played a few games of sorry, a few games of cards, and were sitting down about to listen to Bob continue one of his stories, The Great Smoky Mountain Massacre, from which this story borrows its title. Sue and I sat on the couch with Muffin laying in between us. Bob sat in a chair perpendicular to us. I was honestly not in the mood to hear a scary story from Bob, the master of terror himself, after hearing what it went day. But Sue wanted to, so I was okay with it. I suppose maybe looking back, she wanted to put her fear back into something that couldn't really hurt her. Who knows what was outside the door? But at least in there right then, no story was breaking down her door to get at her. Five minutes in, Bob had us enthralled as usual, and I was just leaning my head back to take a sip of soda when, bam, something hit the metal trailer wall directly behind my head so hard. I fell out of my seat. Literally, I jumped into the floor, hit the deck, and took cover, suing the floor beside me, Muffin barking at the top of her lungs, Bob grabbing a rifle in a spotlight, slamming the back door open and flying out of it, trying to kick Muffin back to keep her inside. I could hear very heavy footsteps hitting the ground to the tree line just behind their house. Five minutes passed, then ten, then an eternity. I remember it like it were yesterday, finally what seemed like hours later, but was probably fifteen minutes at most. I heard Bob yell to Sue that he was coming back in, which was a good thing as Sue by now had a firearm in hand. He walked back in with disbelief in his eyes. He hadn't made it around the house in time to see what hit the wall. But the area where the bang was heard, the area where the bang was heard, the area just behind my head, was about ten feet off the ground. There was a dent in the metal the size of an abnormally large man's fist, no more than a foot behind where my head had just been only minutes ago, and my Uncle Bob who until that point in my life had been the great white hunter to me, had no explanation. Bob and Sue walked me to my parent car that night. Of course my parents, being rational human beings and knowing Bob's storytelling and Sue's flair for the dramatic, didn't believe it was anything other than perhaps a peeping tom or some backwards neighbor, who had no fear of death by acute lead poisoning and nothing to do but walk several miles in the middle of the night, to bang on a trailer and run, trying to scare us. It didn't matter if they believed me, though. Just as quickly as the terrorizing had started, it stopped. A month or so passed, and there were no more incidents to speak of, or at least nothing that couldn't be blamed on over active imaginations or jumpy nerves. No more window taps, no more muffin-barking fits, no more replaced doorknobs. Still, the occurrence made Bob decide that maybe they should cut back a few trees and extend the wood line away from their house a bit, if for nothing else than to extend the sight lines, just in case. So they hired a couple of guys to come in during the days with chainsaws and cut some of the trees around the edges of the clearing down. They were friends of the family, so they worked slow, but it gave Bob some time to get some hunting in, trusting that no sane or even insane Individual would try breaking in on Sioux midday while guys with chainsaws running full blast were walking around, and he was right, no weird activity at all to speak of. Until one Sunday night a few weekends later. I wasn't there for this part, but it is what I'm able to recall piecing together the next day from my 12-year-old brain, now over a decade and a half later. Muffin, being an indoor dog and needing to go outside as indoor dogs often do, was sitting next to the front door with her leash sometime just after dark. Bob, not having me to send out to Walker and still a bit anxious from the strange happenings the month before, grabbed his rifle and flashlight, put Muffin's leash on her, and plunged out into the warm, dark night. Sue was inside washing dishes from dinner and looking out into the yard newly cleared area, and was just able to faintly see Bob and Muffin from the little bit of glow the gravel road street light provided. Almost no sooner than her paws had hit the dirt, Muffin flipped her shit. She was a small dog, maybe 20 pounds, but she was hitting above her weight, barking and pulling Bob toward the tree line with everything she had. Bob was no small man by any means, but trying to balance a flashlight in one hand, with a dog leash tied around it, and a rifle in the other. I guess it is fair to say that Muffin was winning the fight. After getting Muffin to stop yanking his arm out of socket, Bob tried to shine his flashlight at the tree line to see what Muffin was barking at, but the beam wouldn't quite reach. All he could see at the distance was what looked like a very thick tree stump the yard clearing had left. And then, the tree stump stood up. Sue, inside at the kitchen window, and being a lot closer than Bob to the end of the house, yard the former tree stump was now standing at, said the figure was tall and very bulky. Tall meaning over eight foot in height and bulky as in, as wide around as a large tree stump. The massive figure took a step toward Bob just as the first before the first shot rang out, and then the second and the third, and so on the hulking shade possibly startled by the noise of a thirty thirty Winchester, or possibly hit with a round or several, turned and retreated back into the woods. At first, Bob and the fearless muffin started toward the woods to give chase and find out just what the hell that tree stump had morphed into. However, after a few steps and realizing he had no idea how many rounds he had left in his rifle, Bob thought better of chasing an obviously physically superior possibly wounded. Animal? Animal? Into the deep, dark woods in the pitch black of night, regardless of how much courage Muffin possessed. Instead, after a quick reload, the night was spent at Uncle John's house. The next day, John and Bob went to look at the scene of the carnage. Brush and small trees were knocked down for yards, leading deeper into the woods, back over a creek and towards a bluff. But the trail went cold, and there were no obvious signs of blood. So, just what was terrorizing my uncle and my cousin, I have no idea. I do know I talked to John about it a little over a year later, after my uncle and cousin had moved out of that house and into a more populated, less rural part of town. I asked John what he thought it was, and if he thought the story was just Bob embellishing for the sake of a good tale, or Sue playing everything up for attention. John's usual casual disregard for Bob's stories wasn't there this time. He just said he didn't know, and he didn't think he ever would. John actually moved into the trailer after Bob and Sue moved out. Never had any problems, as far as I know. Not a peep. Not a peep. You may be wondering what finally made my uncle and my cousin move out between the tree stump night and the time I talked to John about everything. What was it that finally made someone who had lived within an one eight mile radius from their childhood home their whole life and who loved living in the middle of nowhere finally pack up and move to a less rural area across town? Well, unfortunately for me, that is where I come in. It had been probably six or seven months since my Uncle Bob had shot at some towering behemoth of an unidentifiable human. s shaped animal. They had speculated just what that shape in the darkness had been for months. Maybe it was a really, really large human. Maybe it was a bear. Black bears are pretty common around here, and one standing on its hind legs for a minute would appear like a stump getting huge especially in the panic of the moment nobody knew it didn't really matter though either bob had hit it with enough lead to poison a fishing village or it had decided it wasn't fond of getting shot at either way it hadn't been back to bother my cousin or my uncle bob almost never left the first two months especially without sue in the third month he started cautiously going out but staying close and his thing close and his things tend to do They started to go back to normal. Finally, after over half a year, Bob was going out almost every day hunting again. Summer had come and gone, and I had decided to spend a Saturday hunting with my uncle. Sue seemed perfectly fine staying alone again. I think she was sick of Bob being there all the time. So Bob and I decided to make a go of it and have it some squirrel. My parents had just gotten me my first shotgun, a single-shot break-action 20-gauge. We walked for maybe a mile and a half, which takes a little while when you're trying to be quit in the woods, and we were just crossing a fence onto a neighboring property. My uncle was friends with the owner and had permission to cross the property as a shortcut. When my uncle's cell phone rang, which in and of itself was a miracle given the cell phone coverage of the day and how far we were in the woods, he quickly silenced it and handed my gun over the fence to me. I had crossed first. We had to climb over as it was a tall fence. Just as he was about to hand his gun over, the phone began to ring again. Bob pulled the phone out of his jacket and looked at it and looked at it, answered and was just about to say, Sue, I can't talk right now when. I could hear it over his speaker, loud banging on metal, bang, 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 muffin barking her head off, Sue screaming for help. Grabbing his gun and slamming his phone into his pocket, Bob took off running back in the direction of their house, leaving me on the wrong side of the fence. Bob yelled, I'll be back. Stay here. At this point, I believe I was 12 or 13 years old. The exact details kind of blur with time, but the event I can still close my eyes and relive if I'm not careful. Bob running as fast as he can through the woods, rifle in hand his brown jacket getting smaller and smaller and smaller into the distance, until I'm alone. I'm alone in the woods, not old enough to drive, barely a teenager, not even in high school yet. I'm alone in the woods, no one around for miles, with a single-shot shotgun and a pocket full of shells as my uncle speeds off to defend my cousin from God, only knows what kind of monster my imagination was coming up with. I had never even seen the celluddy that they had been so afraid of, only heard their descriptions and juxtaposed them to the sound of the banging coming from behind my head that night, ten feet off the ground. I was alone in the woods and Muffin, all twenty pounds of her, was trying every bit as hard to get out to tear the monster's throat out to protect my cousin, but I was here almost defenseless. I was alone in the woods and I was scared to death put your twelve-year-old self there. Put your twelve-year-old self in the woods, alone, with the monsters and the demons, and every creature from under your bed, and stuck imagining what was going on a mile away. Up until that moment, I had never been scared of the woods. But right then, I just wanted to get out. At first, I was able to stay pretty
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Calm and collected. I carefully unloaded the single round in my shotgun. After taking a good five-minute glare around the area to make sure I wouldn't need that single round immediately, slid the gun under the fence plumb over the fence myself and then reloaded. I wanted to get out of there so badly. I knew roughly the way back, but honestly, I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to my uncle's house given its current situation either. I figured I followed the trail most of the way to his house, then veered off left to my uncle John's house. It would be at least moderately safe, at least a lot safer than waiting around here for Bob to scare off whatever was trying to break in on Sue again just for it to come out here and find me wandering around. At least she had a house, a dog, and an arsenal of Bob's firearms to protect her. Hell, I only had one round at a time. So weighing the risk of getting in trouble for not staying put like Bob told me to versus the risk of getting eaten by Bigfoot, I started down the trail back to John's house. At best, I run into Bob coming back for me. At worst, I get to John's and call Bob's cell phone and let him know where I am. And at very worst, I run headlong into Sasquatch and have to fight for my life with what would be the equivalent of a BB gun to it. At first, the walk was almost peaceful, birds chirping, squirrels running about. They always know when you aren't going to shoot them for some reason, and that's when they'll run out in front of you. I say walk because it started out kind of a brisk speed. Walk sort of thing. As fast as I could without crushing through the brush and announcing my presence to whatever was within earshot. But then, something changed. There were no bird sounds anymore. No little animal noises at all. Just a steady, heavy crunching of foliage underfoot. And it wasn't by me. Something coming toward me that was just out of sight. It couldn't be Bob. It is coming from the direction I'm coming from, but behind me, walking with me toward Bob's house. Okay, if this I'm out, I remember thinking under my breath as I broke into whatever I could manage for a sprint in the heavier underbrush. A minute into my sprint, I started thinking I was silly. There is no way anything is behind me. After all, isn't this whole thing just Bob and Sue's imagination anything anyway? their imagination out, chasing me through the woods, and I still hear it following me. Something is still crunching away just as fast as I am, keeping pace with me in these godforsaken woods. By the time I hit the clearing to John's yard, uh, I don't know if whatever it was was still keeping pace with me, or catching up, or gone completely. For all I knew, and in my imagination, The second I hit the clearing, its giant arm was going to grab me and snatch me back into the bleakness of the forest forever. Propelled by that thought in gaining traction in the clearing, I didn't stop running until I was pounding on John's door with everything I had, when he finally got me inside and calmed me down. He explained that whatever he'd been breaking in on Sue was gone when he and Bob got there. Sue had called John, too, and that Bob had just went back into the woods a few minutes ago to find me, meaning there is no way it could have been him following me. John called Bob and let him know I was safe and sound, and a few long months after that day, as soon as they could afford to get out, Sue and Bob moved away from that trailer in the middle of the woods. As far as I know, after that day, they never had any more problems. However, on their last day there, Bob told me he joked to sue he was going to leave a forwarding address on the door, so their visitor would know where to find her. Somehow, the humor of that one was lost on her. Hey, my name is Levi. I've never done this before, but people need to know what's out there. It's likely that you've heard of such monsters as skinwalkers, wendigo, bigfoot, but you choose to believe that creatures of that kind could never roam the earth, that humans are the top of the food chain, that we rule this planet. Though comforting, this mindset will not save you when you come face to face with a nightmare. When you realize how weak and helpless you truly are, it will be too late. My long-distance girlfriend Tay, who is studying on the other side of the country, was visiting her parents in my town. It was my first time meeting them, and it went the way everyone wants it to go. I don't mean to brag, but they loved me, and they were really nice when it got late, and I was... Getting ready to go home, Tay's mom offered for me to stay while Tay was in town so that we could spend as much time as possible together. Until she has to go back to school, Tay looked at me excitedly, and I asked, "'Are you sure?' "'I don't want to be a burden, nonsense, Levi.' Tay's mom says we think you and Tay are perfect together and we know how much she misses you when she's gone. Make the most of each other, Tay hugs her mom and then pulls me and her dad into the hug. It was a beautiful moment, but I can't look at it now without it being tainted by the events that followed. The next few days were perfect. I spent more time with Tay than I ever had before. It was hard with her being so far away most of the time. FaceTime can only do so much to quench the emptiness I felt without her. But for these few days, life felt complete. I hung out with her family. We played card games for hours. I helped her dad fix his motorbike. Well, I say helped. I mostly just held the flashlight and handed him tools. But I think I won him over that day. He probably would have gave me his blessing in marriage if I had asked. That night, we were all sat around the TV watching the new Lightyear movie, which was surprisingly good. I'd be lying if I said I didn't shed a few tears around 11, 18 p.m., when the movie finished. Tay's parents said goodnight and headed off to bed, and a couple of Tay's friends who had been visiting said goodbye and drove home. I got up to get some water from the kitchen. And as I walked back, I stood in the doorway that separated the kitchen from the living room, which was dark, only lit by the TV, allowing me to see Tay frozen, staring towards the window, which was out of my direct line of sight. Confused, I peeked my head out of the doorway and looked toward the window. I froze and dropped my glass. Luckily, it landed on the carpet and didn't make much of a noise and the giant pale creature standing an inch from the window didn't notice. The creature was foul, a gaunt, lanky humanoid. Well, at least the head and torso was humanoid. It had no legs. The torso ended in a stump. The body was being held up by four arms, each one probably two meters long. The creature's whole body was covered in gray skin, stretched tightly over it, abnormally long bones. He thing had no hair anywhere. Its mouth was strangely wide, stretching around to where its ears would be if it had them, and its eyes were just sunken, inky, black pits in its head. But I could tell it was just staring at Tay, who had tears rolling down her face. She slowly turned her head to, look at me. She was shaking and breathing quickly. Levy, she whimpered, help. I had never felt so powerless. I'm a six-foot-two, lean, but muscular 20-year-old guy. I was supposed to protect her. I always thought I could, and I would die to protect her, but I had no idea how to protect her from whatever this thing was. Then I had an idea. I looked to the light switch panel to my left. I knew one of them was the porch light, but there were three others, the living room light, the kitchen light, and the hall light. If I pressed the wrong light, if I press the wrong light. I don't know what the thing will do, but I had to try. I had to remember. Which light did I see Tay's dad use to turn the porch light on when he went out last night? I reached for the light second from the bottom and flicked the switch. The hall light turned on. Luckily, the hall is on the opposite side of the kitchen to where the living room is, and it is out of view for the creature at the window. But I can't mess up again. If the kitchen light turns on, the creature will see me. And if the living room light turns on, it might cause it to attack Tay. I looked back to the creature, which was reaching using one of its hands to scratch the window. I had to do something. I reached for the bottom light switch and flicked it. The porch light turned on. The creature spun around to face it and let out a screech that will haunt my nightmares for the rest of my life. I ran to Tay and grabbed her, dragging her off the side of the couch where there was about a meter gap between the armrest of the couch and the wall, and I held her. What else could I do? I can't fight the thing. We can't outrun it, does she know how scared I am. Can she feel my heart running laps in my chest? I want her to feel safe. I want her to feel safe, like nothing can hurt her when I'm there, but that's clearly not true. The sound of the window smashing fills the house, and it cries into my shoulder. I hold her tightly, I kiss the top of her head, and I wait quietly. I can't see anything. It's pitch darkness besides the slight blue glare from the TV on the wall above us, but I can hear raspy breathing and bones cracking as the thing searches the living room. I hear it sniffing the couch where Tay was sitting, and I hear it make its way closer to the end of the couch, one of its hands pressed on the wall above us. The closer it gets, the less scared I become. All that fear is replaced by anger. This thing wants to hurt the person I love with all of my heart. It wants to take the one thing that makes me happy, happy. I would die for this girl, and I would die for this girl. I kiss her one more time and get myself into a defensive position so that I can easily tackle it before it reaches Tay. And as I see the silhouette of its head begin to peek over the side of the couch, suddenly the light turns on and Tay's dad yells as he sees us from the kitchen while he's holding. A shotgun. The creature runs at him but falls to the ground as one of its arms is obliterated at the shoulder. After Tay's dad fires a shot. The creature shakes around on the ground like a fly without wings. Before it grabs the TV in one of its hands and flings it effortlessly at Tay's dad, dad sending him flying into the kitchen counter behind him. The creature quickly sprints out of the window and unleashes a final screech as it disappears into the tree line behind the house. And here we are, I'm sitting at the hospital with Tay and her family. Her dad has a broken jaw, two of broken collar bones. Six cracked ribs, two broken vertebrae in his back, and a broken pelvis he's sleeping right now due to the meds he's on. But he's supposed to recover, though he likely won't be. Able to walk for a while, if ever again. This whole thing happened around five hours ago. It's 4.38 a.m. as I'm writing this. The police left a while ago after telling us we can't go back to the house for a while. I don't know what that thing was. But it's safe to say we are not the dominant species in this world. There are things bigger than us, stronger than us, things you couldn't dream of. You think you can protect yourself, your family? The only difference between you and a rabbit being hunted by a wolf is that the rabbit knows that it's in danger, and the rabbit is running for its life. The forest loomed before us, its dark trees stretching upwards like skeletal fingers clawing at the sky. We stood at the edge of the tree line. A group of five hunters, our faces marked by a mix of excitement and trepidation. The story of the haunted forest had drawn us here, a place where the bravest sought to prove their mettle against the unknown. Armed with only traditional weapons and our wits, we were ready to face whatever challenges lay ahead. As the sun sank below the horizon, casting long shadows over the forest floor, we ventured deeper into the woods. The air was thick with an eerie silence, broken only by the rustling of leaves and the occasional snap of a twig beneath our boots. The tension was palpable, the anticipation of the hunt mixing with the creeping unease that the legends had instilled in us. Night descended swiftly, and a shiver ran down my spine as I realized that the forest was transforming. The trees seemed to close in around us, their branches becoming gnarled and twisted like the fingers of some ancient, malevolent force. I exchanged glances with my companions, their expressions mirroring my own growing sense of unease. We set up camp in a small clearing, our campfire casting flickering shadows that danced along the perimeter. As we huddled around, our voices were hushed, and the laughter that had accompanied our journey here now felt like a distant memory. We spoke of the legends, the stories of hunters who'd ventured into this forest before and never returned. As the fire crackled, a sudden snap echoed through the woods. We fell silent, our gazes darting towards the source of the sound. The forest seemed to hold its breath, and then a low growl resonated from the shadows. My heart pounded in my chest as I stared into the darkness, my grip tightening around the handle of my bow, and then it emerged. A figure stepped into the flickering light of the fire, its monstrous form casting elongated shadows that danced upon the trees. Its overlong arms hung nearly to its feet, the deadly claws jutting out like nightmarish weapons. The silver-like hair that covered its body shimmered in the firelight, and its eyes piercing blue and ancient, locked onto us. The creature's head resembled that of a grizzly bear, its snout deeply scarred from battles with beings even larger than itself. Its presence was overpowering, a chilling reminder that we were trespassers in its domain. Fear held us in its grip, and our weapons felt suddenly inadequate against this malevolent force. As if sensing our vulnerability, the creature moved closer, its movements graceful yet predatory. Tannic surged through our group, and I could feel the tremors in my own limbs, with an echoing roar that seemed to reverberate through the very air. It lunged at us, and chaos erupted. Arrows were released, Knives flashed, and the forest echoed with our shouts, and the creature's roars. In the midst of the frenzy, I saw one of my companions fall, a lethal blow from the creature's claws ending his struggle. Realization crashed over us like a tidal wave. We were being hunted. The creature was no legend, no mere ghost story. It was real, and it was intent on our destruction. As we fought, it became clear that our traditional weapons were no match for its sheer power and ferocity. With every passing moment, the group dwindled, each member falling victim to the relentless predator that stalked us. We were exhausted, wounded, and filled with a desperate determination to survive. But the creature was relentless, its silver-haired form a nightmarish blur in the darkness, "'Dawn broke, casting a dim light over the clearing where the final battle had taken place. "'The creature was nowhere to be seen, its presence evaporating like a nightmare upon waking. "'We were battered, bruised, and broken, survivors of a horror that defied explanation. "'When we finally emerged from the forest, our faces told a story of terror and loss. "'We stumbled upon a group of other hunters, their eyes widening as they took in our disheveled appearance.' We recounted our experience, our voices heavy with the weight of our experiences. The police were called, their accusatory eyes narrowing as they listened to our account. They dismissed our claims of a monstrous creature, accusing us of being involved in the death of our fallen companions. We were met with skepticism and disbelief, our voices drowned out by their assumptions. Luckily, police did not prosecute us due to lack of evidence and classified the whole case as a bear attack, but we know it wasn't. I was laying down in the truck at a pilot truck stop about nine miles south of Ashtabula, Ohio, on October 3, 2018, at 1 p.m., I always cover my windows to keep all lights out and lock all the doors. I had backed in so the front of my truck was facing the storefront. Typically, I'm out by 11:30 p.m., but I kept getting a ringing sound in my right ear and was having trouble with my knee. Previous injury, unrelated. The last thing I remember is starting the truck around 12.30 a.m. to let the heat run. Then it seemed almost instantly I was floating onto a table. The table felt high up, maybe five, six feet. I couldn't move anything. My head was turned to my right shoulder. It felt locked there. I was overwhelmed with fear and could feel myself attempting to cry out for help. Two very small, 3.5, four-foot gray-skinned creatures were to my right that I could see. Everyone describes gray aliens differently than these guys look. Their entire body was stubby, and their heads were almost too short for their eyes, which were very large, like other people described. It was more over the shape of their face that looked different than typical photos you see. The photos you typically see show them elongated in the face. These two looked like it was almost smushed down and like they were squinting with wrinkles between the eyes. I couldn't speak or cry out, but I started to realize what was going on, so I thought in my head, best way to describe it, for them to please help me relax. I understood what was going on, but I could not calm down. Once I thought that, I could move my arms, so I reached out towards one with my right arm, and it held my hand. I did the same with my left arm, and although I couldn't see it, something grabbed my left hand. Their hands were very soft, but cold, and felt kind of like a toddler's hand. Once I was holding with both my hands, I could not stop smiling. I was completely relaxed, and all I could feel was happiness. The one holding my hand on the right, I believe, is the one who was talking to me. It asked if I was sure that I wanted to remember this time, and I told it I was not sure. It was then that I realized that I'd been visited several times before. I believe the first time was when I was five. I recalled a small devil-like creature coming through the wall of my room. I had a bunk bed with no bottom bed, and it just floated straight up to my face. I immediately screamed. My dad came running in and found me in the far corner by my closet door. Being a kid, I told him the devil came for me. Now that I'm older, I realize it wasn't a devil. It was one of those creatures. The next incident wasn't until I was nine to ten years old. As I was going upstairs to bed, I stopped at the landing. Outside of the window, there was a saucer-shaped disc silver in color with a large orange dome on top of it. I thought that I had immediately gone downstairs to get my dad, but when I went to go game to tell him what happened, he asked what I was doing, still up. Apparently, I had been upstairs for almost an hour. I thought it was only a matter of seconds. After telling my dad what had happened, he grabbed our old V-car camcorder, went upstairs with me, and videotaped this craft, which was still hovering, outside the window. After about 10 to 15 seconds, it shot off and was gone. My dad went downstairs and called Airborne Express, which is the local Dell type company that was in business at the time. He reported the incident to them as well as Wright. Patterson Air Force Base. No one reported seeing it. They said that nothing was showing up on radars around that time and that it was probably a coincidence. However, the next morning when we woke up, nothing was on the tape whatsoever. On top of that, we had a large pine tree outside of that window. It was lying on the ground and completely black on one side like it immediately burnt partially and then died. There was no other scaring to the ground back to the present. So I'm laying on the table and I can feel other hands around me on my legs, arms, ears, and then I feel a hard pressure around my genitals, like a pump, but with pain like heat, pain. I'm completely distracted while all this is going on, though because the creature to my left is now alone, it's just me and him, in my view. He's telling me all kinds of things about meeting me in the past, but I can't recall what he was saying. I do recall him saying that I would forget things if I wasn't ready, and unfortunately he had no control over whether or not I would remember. He could only allow me to remember what I wanted to remember. About the time that I really calmed down and stopped feeling like I was going to have a heart attack, everyone was gone. I woke up in the truck laying on my back on top of my blankets. The truck was still running, but every light on the dash was lit up and alarms were going off on it so I shut it off, thinking it was overheating. I turned it back on a couple seconds later, and everything was fine. The whole ordeal did not come to me until after I realized the truck was okay. I immediately started freaking out, and then I heard the same voice again, telling me everything was okay. And he would see me soon. I feel like over the years I have developed a friendship, possibly, with this creature, but I'm not sure of that. Honestly, I'm not really sure I even believe myself. However, I can tell you that those other two instances definitely did occur when I was younger, and I always wanted to know why they happened. I've always had an interest in aliens, but nothing more than any other young boy does. I've never fantasized about being abducted. I've honestly been freaked out about the thought of it, so I don't think that my mind is playing tricks on me or that I had a dream. Another note to add is I do not think that these creatures had a gender. The only reason why I say that is the voice in my head that was talking to me did not appear to be male or female. I did wake up with a slight nosebleed in my right nostril. I had a headache and continued to have a headache all day. I had very uncomfortable pressure internally. I do not drink alcohol. I do not do drugs. And to the best of my knowledge, I have no mental illness from either side of my family that is known. I have never been a sleepwalker, and I don't tend to have very many nightmares. I wish I could remember more of what happened. Although I would definitely be terrified if this occurs again, I hope that I can be more open to it when it does, though. I know they will be back because I recall the creature saying it would see me again. The beginning of the encounter was very intrusive, and it felt embarrassing. They seemed to just do what they needed to do, and then they comforted me. I will say that I agree with others about the whole pure love feeling. I definitely felt as though it possibly genuinely cared about me. I'm not entirely sure that it did, but it was a very comforting feeling. One other thing I do recall it asking me was if I remembered them fixing me when I ruined my ability to reproduce. I didn't answer that I'm aware of, but I think I know what they were talking about. When I was on a diplomat to Iraq, we would restart the radars standing in range of them. We were warned if we did that, we could become sterile. So I used to do it every day, joking that I did not need to have any more kids, as I had already had three at the time. I did wake up several nights with nosebleeds in Iraq, but in my opinion, I believe at least most of those were due to the desert air. I hope my story will help in some way, shape, or form. These are not all of the details of this event. I'm not very good at writing out things, and I only wanted to write out what I was sure of. I looked at the frayed end of my puppy's leash inside. The leash had been thrown in with the kennel I bought when I bought Picard, my Pomeranian. It had been old and ratty, but I figured it would work just as well as a new one. Apparently I was wrong. I'd only had Picard for two months. The leash was dead and he was having a grand time somewhere in the woods behind my apartment complex. He was a good puppy but also a hyperactive one, and I was worried he would wear himself out and get lost. So I pushed through the undergrowth in the direction that he had scampered off. Take I called out. Come on, boy, it's going to be night time. You need to come get dinner. It had been half an hour, and I was starting to get a little bit worried and a little bit upset. I didn't know what I would do when I found the little guy, but at this point I was just hoping I would find him at all. The sun hadn't completely set, but it would in less than an hour, and after I found Picard, I would have to find my way back out of the woods. From the road or the apartments, the mass of trees looked quaint and contained, but from inside of it, the forest seemed huge and imposing. Some of the trees had long scratches on them, usually a few feet above my head, or places a little lower where the bark had been torn off in ragged strips. All the branches up to about eight feet high had been broken off and piled around the bases of the trees, and I wondered who had done it, and why. It must have taken days of effort for some landscaper to accomplish, and for what purpose. As far as I knew, no one came out here, not even the kids who lived in the apartments. Come to think of it, I hadn't even seen any animals in the woods since I moved in. I'd never noticed it. But now that the thought had entered my head, it was unsettling. Even if the forest was too small for deer, shouldn't there be squirrels or possums or something? I took another look at some of the scratches high on the trees. What were they? Most of them were groups of two parallel lines, gouged deep into the living wood of the trees. Bears had more than two claws, I knew that. Was it something done by whomever had broken off the low branches? I reached up to touch an overhanging branch. It was just out of reach. I was a tall guy, six feet even. Most people wouldn't be able to reach the branches. Maybe the manager of the apartments didn't want people climbing the trees. Tick Here, puppy. Let's go get a treat. I didn't want to be here anymore. I wanted to take my dog and go home. The sun was getting very low in the sky, and I absolutely did not want to be in these woods after dark There couldn't be anything to worry about. Nothing scarier than skunks lived in my state, but at this point I no longer cared. This place was wrong somehow, and even the squirrels knew it. Picard, come. I heard dead leaves rustle behind me. I turned to look. Picard, good do. It wasn't Picard. The thing I saw was tall, eight feet at least. The branches overhead brushed its wolf-like ears. It was covered in thick fur, gray and mossy green, and it stood on two feet like a person. For a brief instant I thought it must be a Bigfoot, but then I looked at its face, into its eyes, its four eyes. They were small and crimson, arranged in a band across its face where a human's nose would be, its wide frog-like mouth split and its entire head seemed to gape open to reveal hundreds, thousands of teeth like knitting needles, as a thick tongue like a twisted handkerchief thrust out and licked slowly across its lips. It took a horrible shuddering step towards me, and I took two back. It blinked, each eye from left to right taking a turn in sequence. Then it raised its long, long arm towards me, I felt my back hit against a tree and thought maybe I could climb up, wait for this thing to leave, for someone else to come, even though I knew no one would. But there were no branches in reach, and I suddenly realized why. I shouted at the thing to stop, but it ignored me. It took another step towards me, then a third, its paw outstretched with two thick curved claws extended. I closed my eyes. There was nothing I could do. Then I heard a low whine and a bark. Picard, great, not only was this thing going to eat me, but my little dog, too. I opened my eyes and started to shout at Picard to run, but the thing was standing there covering its ears. Picard barked again, and the creature howled in what seemed like pain. Picard began barking incessantly, frantically, and the horror fled, running deeper into its terrible woods. Picard trotted over to me, his tail wagging the other end of the leash still clipped to his collar. "'What a good boy, Picard. What a good boy, Picard. What a good boy.' I hugged him close. We were both shaking as I tied the two ends of the leash together, and we ran home in the dark. Sometimes, from my window, I watch the woods. I never see animals, but sometimes there are new scratches high on the trees.' And when my neighbor complains about Picard barking in the night, I just smile and nod and apologize and slip my dog an extra treat.